The following audio is from Crossroads Church, a church in Lincoln, Nebraska, centered around building genuine community through authentic faith. More info can be found at lincolncrossroads.com. Amen. So you, you would think that having not preached for a long time, four or five weeks now, that I would be here ready with like this big old series ready to just roll it out. But instead, I've got a bunch of things jumbled up in my head. And so today, I'm just going to do a, 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 a one-timer here. And this is what I wanted to do. Basically, it just came down to this. What do I want to talk about? I want to talk about how awesome God's love is. Because here, and here's why. Because we could talk about any theological truth you could come up with. But if we don't have a healthy understanding of the love of God, we're not going to be able to fully understand any other theological truth that we find in the scripture. It all hinges and revolves around God's love. John tells us that he, it's not just something that he does, says that God is love. And so we're going to talk about that today. We sang that song just a little bit ago, God really loves us. It's true, isn't it? Yeah? So I want to talk about that and and just his love and and just really three different aspects. First is this. First is number one. Let me me encourage you. If you're taking notes, which I would encourage, if you're taking notes, be ready. I've got a lot of scripture references today. Okay? So I'm going to be giving you a lot. Each one, if you want something to to just study this week, or maybe you want something to to read on even while you come here from 5 to 6 p.m. for our time of prayer, uh, you just want something else to, to read and reflect back on, write these down, spend some time this week in them. Point number one, God really loves you. If you're taking notes, you could put it this way. You could internalize it. You could personalize it. God really loves me. See, God's love is personal. I, I, I think it's comical. Every time I read it, I smile a little bit. I, I think I'm starting to learn it and understand it a little bit more. But every time I read the Gospel of John, anybody catch this? How he refers to himself. He almost never refers to himself as John, but he, he refers to himself in this vague, the disciple whom Jesus loved. <laughs> like, doesn't that just seem a little, I don't know, like uh, arrogant, right? Um, but here, here's the deal. Like he says it, like we see this, this reference, uh, in John 13, he says it, he says it again in John 19. He says it again in, in John 20. He says it twice refers to himself this way. And in, in chapter 21, we see it throughout this book, but here's the deal. I don't think it was because, um, I don't think it was because he thought too highly of himself. I think it was because he had a really, really good understanding of how Jesus saw him. It wasn't arrogant. Rather, it was his identity. Like, John, who are you? My name doesn't matter. My reputation doesn't matter. The good things that I do written down in Scripture for all time really doesn't matter. What matters is that my identity is this. Jesus loves me. Such a simple little truth, and yet what we see in in John is something that that 
we all, as followers of Jesus, man, every single one of the disciples could have written the same way, which would be altogether kind of comical as well. The disciple whom Jesus loved, and they all say it about themselves, right? It could have been that way because John just understood it's not arrogant, it's identity. Like, but, but doesn't it single him out? Like, I don't think that was the point. It wasn't to be exclusive, it was to be personal. Like when John writes his gospel, he says, the, the disciple whom Jesus loved. There's this relational aspect to John's walk with Jesus that is something that we ought to pursue. In fact, it's something that is true of all of us who've professed Christ. Romans 8, 35. Let me just read it for you. I referenced it in in worship here just a moment ago, but it says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? I hope you get it. This is rhetorical. Verse 38, for I'm convinced, Paul says, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. It's like he's exhausting the whole list. Nothing in this world will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friend, can I tell you something today? God really loves you. Here's the challenge, though. So we go to church, and we hear in church and in Christian circles, in Christian settings, we hear God loves you. But here's the deal. Human tendency, I get, we all do this a little bit. When we're in church, we kind of sort of put on our I've got it all together suit, don't we? You know what I'm talking about, right? I'm not talking about dress. We're pretty casual here at Crossroads, but we have this internal thing. Like I'm coming to God and, and all God's people and everybody's probably perfect. And I got I to gotta get my, my stuff together. And it's not really an external pressure as much as this internal. And, and so we come to church and we come to our Christian gatherings with this mindset and with this kind of this mask, this, this outfit on that says, I've, I've got to have it all together. And then so we hear God loves you in that context. And so often without in intentionally thinking this way, it kind of gets interpreted like this. God loves me when I've got it all together. Right? We don't put it that way, but it kind of feels that way. We go to church and we feel good and we, and, and we fake everybody out with how amazing I am and we hear that God loves me, but then we go home to reality and I'm not quite the same and I begin to wonder, does, does he really love me? I mean, they said, they said that pastor guy up on stage, he said God loved me, but that's because he thought I was so pretty. You know, there's a story in, in, um, in John chapter 8 where this woman is caught in adultery. Now, if you've heard this story for a long time and maybe you heard it growing up, yeah, maybe it didn't really register, but I want you to think about, like, the context of this in like real life. This woman was caught in the act of adultery, drug from the place she was caught, most likely as is, outdoors into the public in front of a group of religious leaders with all of her shame and her sin uncovered for everyone. We read this section title, The Woman Caught in Adultery. But this was a 
shameful, embarrassing, awkward encounter. And all the religious leaders are there ready to bring down God's wrath. You know the story. Jesus rebukes, even mildly, graciously. He addresses the accusers. And then in grace and love, covers her shame. Doesn't, isn't permissive, doesn't allow her to continue, says no, go and sin no more, but does so in a manner that is so filled with grace and love. But here's the funny thing, is, 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 so then we, we, we put on this thing where we feel like it's this internal deal. We feel like I've got to have all my stuff together. I've got to be perfect and pretty. I've got to look good for Jesus to love me. Friends, I'm going to tell you, Jesus loved the woman caught in adultery enough to cover her shame. God loves you when you're fallen, and he really loves you when you're broken, and he really loves you when you're vulnerable. I know we've, we've referenced this earlier this year, but it's significant. Matthew talks about it. Mark talks about it. Luke talks about it. When, when those three guys all quote the same statement of Jesus, it means it caught their attention and it should catch ours as well. Jesus says this, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And so when we act like we're righteous and try to pretend we're not sinners, it feels weird to receive the love of God. But Jesus says, come as you are. I love you. So you as an individual, I want you to hear this today. If you're feeling unloved, you're feeling like you always have to pretend, you're feeling like you're not quite worthy of even having a seat in this room, can I tell you, God really loves you. And you don't have to pretend anymore. Number one, God really loves you. God really loves me. His love is personal. Number two, God really loves us. God really loves us. His love is communal. I, I love the different references that Jesus makes to the church. Just, just think about the imagery that he uses. He talks about the, the followers of Jesus being a family. He says that we're an army working together with purpose and direction. He says that we're a body. That, that's the most intimate one, right? Like we collectively are one. We know this. We've heard this a lot of times. I mean, did you know this though? That in the New Testament, just from Romans to 2 John, and the letters written to the churches, um, 43 instructions that address, quote, one another in those books. 40, they're short books, too. They're short little letters. One another. So much of the early church writing is not like how to live uh, and, and, and be a witness. Like Sometimes we always think that we'll go to the world and go win everybody else. But one of the primary things, instructions that, that, that those early church leaders were writing to the church is teaching us how to live in community with one another, to love one another, to honor one another. It also has a negative thing. Don't, don't be angry with one another. Be... Uh, be humble with one another, all these different one another's. You know, here's something that, that dawned on me recently. That, like, if I'm going to instill something in me into another person, what do you think is the best setting? One on 100 in a setting like this? Probably not. How about one in, like, 12? 
that's better. How about one-on-one? One-on-one, like you can really get into the life of somebody, right? Would you all agree? Right? The, the more one-on-one you can get, the more you can really communicate heart, the really, you can dial, you can, you can invest yourself in somebody one-on-one. So now let me think about this. If, that, if that's true, and Jesus came to build a kingdom, and he wasn't in a hurry, how come he didn't do it one-on-one? How come he did it one-on-twelve? Right? Was there a timeline that's like, ooh, I got three and a half years, and the clock is ticking. I better, like, 12, that's about as good as I can do right now. Could he not have just said, I'm going to go one-on-one with one guy for a year? Do you think there was ever, do you think, like, right, like, how about, like, we hear about, like, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. We hear a lot about those guys, but you think Thaddeus, right, was ever like, man, I just need a little more one-on-one time with Jesus, right? Like, I probably, the, the, the disciples, you don't hear, they don't get as much face time in Scripture. You're like, how come he didn't do one-on-one? He could have done one-on-one with Peter and said, Peter, go get him. And then one-on-one with Andrew. Said, All right, Andrew, now you got it. You got what's in me. Now you go get him. And then do one-on-one with Thomas. Like, please don't doubt me on this, Thomas. Right? Like, you got, like, you got this. Go. I bet Judas Iscariot would have had a better shot if it had been one-on-one. How come it wasn't? Because what you don't get in one-on-one is Jesus' heart for not just me, but for us. Jesus called a zealot who wanted to make war with Rome. And he called a tax collector who was working for him, Rome, and said, let me show you what God's love looks like. He took the extroverts like Peter and the introverts that we never hear of, and he says, let me, let me teach you what it looks like, what God's love looks like as you learn to live in community. You see, we live in a very individualistic society. Yeah, we gather for church on Sunday, then we'll go live the next six days um, doing our own thing, Christian life thing. We live in a world right now that says, you don't even have to go to church to be a Christian. It's just between me and Jesus. And like, yeah, I guess. But we're living a Christian life that way. We're living a Christian life completely differently than the life that Jesus intends for us to live. He designed us to live in community. He doesn't just love you. He doesn't just love me. Friends, he loves us. God really loves me. He really loves you. God really loves us. And here's the third thing I want to look at here today. God really loves them. God really loves them. God's love is universal. Now, for some of you who hear that and instantly go to like universalism and you get freaked out by what I'm saying right now, bear with me, trust me, I'm gonna get there. God really loves them. For starters, them. God really loves us. Isn't that like gross language? Aren't you not supposed to have us's and them's? True, true. In fact, Philippians talks very distinctly about this. Jesus came to demolish the us-them thinking among his people. In fact, it says it almost that way. Ephesians chapter 2 says he has, Jesus has destroyed the dividing wall of hostility. What was he talking about? He was talking about race issues. (laughs) He was talking about Jews and Gentiles. God's people, the Jews, were very much 
us, them mindset in the Old Testament. And when Jesus shows up, he's saying, I'm giving a new way of doing church. I'm giving you a new way of living for God. I'm giving you a new way. And it says Jesus destroyed the us, them thinking. He destroyed the dividing wall of hostility, the barrier between those two. And then we could go throughout scripture and see he also talks about no longer male and female. He has destroyed the dividing, dividing line between male and female. Not that they're the same, but the hostility is gone. He's divided the divide, he's destroyed the dividing line between slave and free. What he's saying is this, is that we are one under the name of Jesus. However, there is one us, them, that Jesus refers to often. You know, he, he teaches on it from in a variety of different places, and, and that's this, those who are his and those who aren't. And this is just the reality of the kingdom of God. In Matthew 25, he says, there are some are sheep and some are goats, and the sheep are going to be welcomed in, and the goats are going to get kicked out. He says, on the last day, uh, in Matthew chapter 13, he gives two parables. He says, there's the wheat, and then there's the weeds. The weeds are going to be thrown in the fire, and the wheat is going to be gathered. He says, there's good fish and the bad fish. The good fish are going to be gathered. The bad fish are going to be thrown out. John chapter 15, the branches that bear fruit will be uh, left to flourish. The branches that don't are going to be burned in the fire. There is an us, then, them that Jesus talks about throughout his life and ministry. But then he also says he came to de destroy the dividing line, the dividing wall of hostility. So what do we do with this? God's love and God's salvation are not the same thing. Okay? God's love and God's salvation are not the same thing. Listen, John 3.16. We all know John 3.16, right? Okay, listen to this. It says, for God so loved Who? The world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That, and here's the other part, the next part, whoever believes will be saved. Right? So we see both these pictures in this verse that many of us have memorized as, as children. For God loved the world so that those who believe will be saved. It's like this. God's love is, is huge. Like if, if there's a couple who are married and, and, and one party loves their spouse so dearly, but the other one wants nothing to do with them and wants a divorce and leaves and never is seen of again, that is not a happily married couple, is it? It doesn't matter how much the one spouse loves the other. If they reject that love, there is no happy marriage. And this is a picture of the difference between God's love and his salvation. You see, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul talks about uh, our life with God. And he says that here's what it's all about. It's about being reconciled to God. This is what salvation is. It is being reconciled to God. It's about being in relationship with our creator. Salvation is found in that relationship to the point he says like our mission on earth is to reconcile others to God this is what salvation is all about so all throughout scripture we see that God so loved the world first John 4 8 God is love so when it comes to God's love there is no us them God is not differentiating between all these and and listen I understand um I understand like Proverbs 6 there's six things that God hates a couple of them 
says, a false witness who breathes out lies, one who sorrows discord among themselves. That's a person. God hates somebody who breathes out lies, and God hates someone who sows discord. How do, how do you, how, how does, how do you, I don't, God's big. Let's just remember that. Anybody, if you forgot, God's big. And if I can believe that a God who is completely just and a God who is completely gracious somehow exists in one being, I guess I have to somehow rectify that there are certain things that God hates, and yet it says he loves our, the entire world. And I don't always understand how that comes together. I'll just be honest. I don't always understand the, the nature and the character of God. I'm glad I don't, because if I could, then, then he's not that big. All that to say, God's love and God's salvation are different. All right? I got on a tangent there for a little bit. God's love and salvation is different. He loves us all. God so loved the world. But he said, man, will you respond to my love? Will you respond to my love? Once again, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. This is Jesus. Jesus said this. To Christian folks, to good Christian folks. We got any good Christian folks in here? We got some good. I see you. I know you. We got some good Christian folks in here. Jesus was speaking to some really nice Christian folks when he was talking. And he said, listen, you're kind of offended at the people I hang out with, aren't you? This is what you need to remember. I came for the sick. I didn't come to hang out in the churches. I came to hang out with the broken. Read the Gospels through that lens. See who he came, who he went to hang out with. He went to the sick. I want to read something for us. I want to read something for us. Romans chapter 1. Anybody read Romans chapter 1 recently? It's kind of cringy. Okay? So I'm going to read some cringy scripture for you. I hope that's okay. I said that, God. All right. But I'll tell you, this, doesn't, this makes me feel yucky. I'm just going to be honest. This, this is, <laughs> I'll just show what I mean. Romans chapter 1. This is Paul writing to the church in Rome. He says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godless and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. That sounds evil and devious, doesn't it? Verse 21, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. So after rejecting the truth of God, it says this down in verse 24, therefore God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even the women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. And in the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they would do what ought not to be done. See what happened? They rejected the truth of God 
which causes their mind to be darkened, and then the snowball effect takes place. God says, if you're rejecting me, I'll let you chase down this. He says, I'll give you over to your desires. And then once you've got comfortable in your desires, they continue to push against God, and I'll give you over to your lusts, he says. As you continue to indulge in your lusts, I'll give you over to your depravity. And as they continue in their depravity, it just keeps getting worse. Verse 29, they have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. You see what I mean? You hear this and you're like, oh. Some of us think like, man, the world is more depraved today than it's ever been. Maybe that's true, but I read this and go, maybe not. Rome was a messed up place. Sin was rampant. They had rejected the truth of God. Their minds had become darkened. Sexual sin flourished. Evil flourished. It was all justified and immoral things called moral. Society and morality was upside down. And it says God just gave them over to. In other, they pushed back on him, so he let them run in the other direction, and depravity followed. And we read that that's good Christian folk. And we go, oh, that's gross. Right? Now here's, here's I'm so grateful for who the, the, the people who decided to chop up the letters of the Bible into chapters so that we could all like follow along together. It's really, really handy. The one downside is that we tend to stop a flow of thought at a chapter break instead of continue to read it like a letter. So what we do is we read Romans 1, and then we're like, hmm, I just threw up in my mouth a little bit. That's just gross. I, that's too sinful for me to even read. And then we wake up the next morning, and then we read chapter 2 in a fresh new mindset. I'm going to start at the next sentence in Paul's letter. You, therefore... Have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, for at what point you judge another, you're condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. <gasps> who, me? Did you hear how gross that chapter was? Paul, you can't tell me I do that stuff. That is nasty. Don't, you know you're thinking it. I'm gonna go back to Jesus. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. He puts anger and murder in the same category. 
You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Did you heard that it says, don't break your oath? But how many of us had used specific words so that we can come back to saying, I didn't say anything false when our intention in those words were to deceive. We look at the end of Romans chapter 1 and we go, oh, never. But look where it started. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godless and the wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Have you ever justified less than righteous activity for the sake of making you feel better about what you're doing? Romans chapter 1 makes you feel, oh. Romans chapter 2 reminds me of the incredible grace of God. Maybe some of you, you've, you've gone down really deep into Romans chapter 1 and God has saved you. Praise God. There's some of us, you just, you barely went anywhere. And it's only by the grace of God. God stopped you before you got into the stuff that you look at now and say, ooh, that's gross. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So this is what his response is. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such thing is based on truth. So when you and me, a mere human being, a mere human being, pass judgment on them, yet do the same things, do you think we'll escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Did you hear that? God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. You know, it's so easy to look at Romans 1 and just, and just blanket look at our culture, to look at our society, maybe look at our nation, you want to look at the world and go, oh, the sin. But can I just tell you something? God, like, societies don't get saved. People do. Cultures don't need redemption. Individuals do. So often we got to guard ourselves. So often we, the church, we, we get saved. We say, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, you love me. This is amazing. And then some of us take that next step. I'm like, man, Jesus loves us. And look at this community. And, and this is fantastic. But them. Oh no, we may not say it that way. 
Maybe it's a little bit more subtle. But can we recognize that Romans 1 isn't just the story of the gross perverts and sexually and sinfully, morally depraved. It's the story of humanity. That for those of us who've received Christ, we sit here today because Jesus took us off that path. And maybe you look at your life like, I wasn't that bad. Jesus tells us those who've been forgiven much, love much. That doesn't mean if you have a, like, a, a gross past or a, a big like, turnaround story that, that you're going to be able to love God more. No, that's not what that means at all. What it means is this. For those of us, regardless of our sinful actions in our life, who understand the depravity of the human heart, it doesn't matter if I'm a murderer or if I'm angry. It doesn't matter if I'm an adulterer or I lust. God saved me from my own broken self. We said before, God destroyed the dividing line between us and them. God has called us to love like he loves, and he loves the world. In fact, times he'd see the world, he'd go out, he'd see the crowd. We read this week in our our Bible reading, in, in John chapter 14, Jesus had just heard news that his cousin had been beheaded. And he went by himself to grieve and to be with his father, but instead he sees this crowd of sinners. And this is what it said. He didn't say he, fine, what do they need now? He says he looks at them and he had compassion. Friends, we've got to learn to love like God loves. He loves me, receive it. He loves us, we're in community, but he loves them. And I only say them just because there is a difference. Some are gonna be reconciled to God and live with him forever, and some aren't. But friends, if we don't love them, John says this way, they will know we are his by the way that we love one another and them. My My heart today is simply this, is that we would see the richness and the depth of God's love. Romans 5, 8 says that we were, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you're like, no, God hates the sinners. God hates all that kind of stuff, but he loves. No, no, no. It says it right there. He didn't love us after we said yes. He loved us, which allowed us to say yes. That godless coworker of yours, that neighbor that's so obnoxious, the little old lady down the street who's super good and just has done more good things than bad things, so she thinks she's got a spot guaranteed. The people in our life without God, friends, they're going to hell. 
There's going to come a day where he's going to separate the sheep and the goats, the good fish and the bad, the branches with fruit and the branches without, the wheat and the weeds. He said it over and over and over and over again. But John 3, 17, the less known verse, is that he didn't come to condemn, but to save. And he's called us to love. We're called to be those who are reconciling people back to Christ. If you're in a relationship with Jesus today, it is only by the grace and the love of God that he saved you from much worse. If you've, maybe you've got a storied past, maybe you're, you, you've been squeaky clean your whole life, let me tell you this, it is the rejection of God and the choice to live for myself that separates us from God, not how many bad things we've done. We are in so desperate need for a God who loves us. Our command as followers of Jesus is very simple. Love God and love people. But it's so hard. Which is why today I just wanted to talk about the way God loves. Because I believe if we can get a picture, if we can just get a little bit better of a picture of the way that God loves me, the way that God loves us, the way that God loves the world, that maybe, just maybe, I can learn how to love others and him the same. Listen, our goal is not to fix the culture. Our goal is not even to change the world. The goal is to reconcile people back to their Savior. One person at a time. Through the love of God. Because listen, when I realize that God loves me, I begin to recognize that I have, I have value. When I recognize that God loves us, though I have value, I learn it's not all about me. And when I learn that God loves the world, I begin to have compassion. Father, we praise you and we thank you for the way that you love. The way that you love us personally. The way that you love us collectively, communally. The way that you love the world. God, universally, your love is so big. God, you are love. So Father, today, as we just, we just spend this time this morning meditating on your love, would you teach us to love like you? Would you, would you remind us of how much you, you do love us? How far we are gone without you? That the only thing that separates me from the unbeliever is your grace and your love and your kindness to me. Father, I pray for every person in the house today that we would see people differently this week. 
that we would just not love when we feel the emotions, but Father, we would choose love like you chose to love us. Father, we love you. We love you. In your name we pray. Thank you for listening to this audio from Crossroads Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Crossroads, please visit lincolncrossroads.com.